they need to learn just to be. We need to let them just be. There's a very happy medium, or it's all or nothing, and they can't cope with that. Hey there, welcome to Life Well Loved, the pet well-being podcast brought to you by Bella and Duke. My name's James Marriott, I'm your host, as we adventure into the world of pet ownership with you and your cats and dogs. We'll be sniffing out expert knowledge from people like behaviourists, nutritionists and veterinary professionals as we explore how to do right by our pets covering everything from pet-centred nutrition to how to help them navigate the world around them. So, let's meet today's guest. Well, today we are talking about one of the most heartbreaking parts, really, of being uh, certainly a pup parent, separation anxiety. Even if you don't have a dog, maybe you've never had a dog, I bet every single person has been affected in some way or another. The neighbor's dog who cries and howls all day when they're out at work, that kind of thing. Separation anxiety is a very prevalent problem for pets, not necessarily just dogs, of course. Um, And pet parents often really find it a struggle to deal with. Today, we're joined by our canine behaviourist, Caroline Spencer, 30 years of experience in this field. And fair to say, Caroline, you I mean, you literally wrote the book on this. Yeah, well, my my book is called Why Does My Dog Do That? It includes um, separation anxiety in it, a plethora of other behaviours and how to connect with your dog naturally as opposed to just uh, training because we uh, we all need to be brought up rather than taught up. Absolutely, absolutely. 30 years of experience doing anything is, um, is, is amazing. I'm, I'm intrigued as to how did you kind of get into dog behaviorism in the first place you know we we kind of like when when we're at school and there's all those people that say oh, i want to be a vet or i want to do this i want to do something i want to be a zookeeper there'll be a lot of people who say well, i want to study dogs and the way that they behave very rarely do people actually go on and do it so so tell us a bit about your background and and and, and how you got into it and what brought you to this point yeah well it's quite a long journey really interesting you said yeah, zookeeping because that was one of the things i would like uh wanted to do <laughs> i was always passionate uh, about animals you know we had dogs cats guinea pigs ponies and all the rest of it but i was pushed in to nursing so i did my nursing and um anyway about the age of 26 i got myself a dog and uh, he was pretty badly behaved actually because i didn't have a clue uh what i was doing and I went to some training classes, whether gun dog training classes and other training classes. And it was okay to a certain degree, but it was very formal, in my opinion. And what made me change my approach completely was when I had children. I thought, I'm not training my children. I'm bringing my children up. I'm understanding their needs, their wants, and guiding them to make great decisions. So from that moment on, I looked more um, off the training side, more on to kind of working with your dog's natural instincts and understanding what they're saying by what they're doing and to help them make a better canine choice as opposed to instilling a human demand upon them like a sit or a don't or a 
you know, anything like that. So working with the dog, be like David Attenborough, who working with gorillas, he didn't tell them what to do. He actually was very, lot of empathy, a lot of understanding about how gorillas talk, because if you do it wrong with a gorilla, your head will be chopped off. So, you know, um, but thankfully dogs are far more forgiving of us humans than the gorilla is, which is why that many mistakes we make, we're very lucky that we don't get the rough end of the teeth. I have a feeling, Caroline, we, we could probably sit here and talk for several hours about so many different things. Thankfully, we do have one subject that we're focusing on today, and that is separation anxiety. I mentioned it earlier on. I mean, I kind of mentioned the example of like, you know, the neighbor's dog who spends all day crying. We've all seen the photos that people put on social media of when they come home and the dog's destroyed the house. You know, that, that kind of, you know, th- those are examples that come to my mind. What do we mean, though, when we say separation anxiety? What, what really is it? Separation anxiety is a hyper-attachment to a human being or to another dog. Um, but also humans suffer separation anxiety also. It's, it's not just a canine thing. It's an animal thing, human and non-human. And lots of studies been done on the human side and, and more so coming um, onto the canine side now as well. But it's hyper-attachment to a human being which is the ones that we find more distressing. But this comes from the human being hyper-attached also to their canine pal. It's our anxiety that causes their anxiety. But of course, there are some dogs that are more predisposed to um, anxieties and to stress. And those are ones born of a stressed mother. Those that have left their birth home before eight and a half, nine weeks old. Um, but there's so much, we, or even you know, when you get a, a new older dog in who's had traumatic past, but there's so much we can do to help them be more resilient in, in being alone. But of course, we have to establish that your dog has got separation anxiety as opposed to needing another beating heart in the house. Those are very two different things. So getting another dog or a cat into your home is not going to solve your dog's separation anxiety, but it will if the dog is just purely want uh, another pal about. I mean, I feel there was such an important point that we're going to need to come back to um, in 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 there, which is about our role in in this as um, as as humans. I do feel that that really jumped out. I mean, I've touched on a couple of fairly extreme examples in terms of destroying the sofa and spending all day crying um what what other kind of i don't know if symptoms is the 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 right phrase but what what other kind of signs are there um that that um an animal is is suffering from separation anxiety yeah well you know they can be really subtle and and things that we don't actually notice so it's really important first and foremost to pop a camera up in your house to check because it might simply be your dog is up and pacing, not making a sound, not being destructive or anything like that. So, you know, it can uh, range from just the odd tiny little whimper to, uh, um, to a pant, to pacing, to hair loss, to defecating in the house, you know, whether pee and poo or just, just weeing. Over-exuberant on your return. You know, are they wide awake and over, over exuberant? And another one, not eating in the morning. You know, so many people call me and the dog eats in the evening but doesn't in the morning. 
Well, yeah, because in the in the evening you've put your feet up, you're all relaxed, you're not going anywhere, and the dog goes, "Oh, I can chill out now, and I can eat." Because a lot of people, I, I, I know me, when I'm anxious, I, I can't eat. Other dogs, other people, other animals, you know, stuff themselves. But everybody's an individual. Every dog's an individual. But also, if you've got a dog who follows you around constantly at home from room to room and can't leave you alone, you know, this is a dog who is most probably suffering when you're out. They cannot put the boots up and relax when you're busy doing your own thing. So regardless of whether your dog does suffer from anxiety when you've left the house, it might have anxiety if they're in a separate room or if you're just out in the back garden. Some dogs present with separation anxiety when you go shopping and maybe your partner is holding on to the dog when you go into a shop. So you know, separation anxiety can present itself in many different situations, not just because you leave the home. Okay. Um, you you mentioned earlier about our role in this as 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 humans and that often the 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 pet's anxiety ultimately comes from from our behavior what what should we do about that how should people behave towards their pets to avoid this well just be normal really um don't um overindulge your dog all the time that you're at home you know if you play with them talk to them stroke them you know all the time you're at home and they've got everything and suddenly you're gone and they've got nothing and they don't know how to naturally relax they've lost their body clock and also when we look and walk away that is a natural recall so from a young age if we're always looking at our puppies and walking away we're saying follow me i need you with me be with me so they become unable to be alone we live very open plan nowadays we don't shut our doors now for me it's really important we shut our doors even if it's for 30 seconds because what you're doing, you're showing your dog, I don't need you with me. But if you've gone into another room, you're going to be there for a while, then you can open it up. Again, don't have to call your dog in. You're showing your dog, you can come in if you like. So you're not being seen as a needy party. And your dog doesn't become a Velcro dog. Really important that we give our dogs opportunity to sleep and relax. Because, you know, when we get them as puppies, all they've done is fed played and slept a lot and learned a lot from their mothers when we get them in our homes we try and wear them out by lots of exercise and lots of interaction they get overtired they lose their body clock and we keep looking at them we keep talking to them and we keep them alert and they need to learn just to be we need to let them just be there's a very happy medium or it's all or nothing and they can't cope with that. It's a bit like if you play with children all the time and don't let them, don't let a child discover and play with their own toys and discover you know, digging in the garden and stuff like that. If you're always doing it with them, they cannot do it on their own. And they don't learn to be bored or do nothing. It's fine. Yeah. Molly coddling um, is is the phrase that that jumps to mind when it's uh, we talk about children, but you know, strange that we don't we don't necessarily apply that to um, to our pets as well. I'm I'm interested in is is this something that only applies 
in our homes? Is this something about the home, or, or can separation anxiety can, can it exist elsewhere? Is it is it something that exists outside of the of the home? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, take a situation where you know dogs like to be in groups. Now, if you're taking the family on a walk, people say to me, uh, "My children can't go and play on the swings because the dogs keep running to the children, running back to me, barking at the children, looking at me." You know, dogs have to learn that we do disperse. And it can be very difficult for some, indeed. Now, as I say, you know, this can happen when you, if you're taking your dog um, into town, you go shopping and someone goes into the shops and the dog be barking and yelping outside, you know, wondering where that person has gone. Um, They don't understand. And it's for us to just do things really, really slowly so the dog gets to understand that we are able to split up and we always come back together and they are safe without us. We have to build their resilience. A lot of dogs are quite happy, funny enough, in a car, even if they are suffering from separation anxiety elsewhere. I don't know whether it's because the car is on the move and we go back to the car quicker than we go back home. You know, maybe going out shopping, you're only out for five or 10 minutes. When we go out from the home, you could be out for hours and they can see more what's going on around them. That's interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting that that um that yeah that difference. So so kind of you know thinking about um I guess you know worst case scenario in terms of what we're talking about today and and someone you know their 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 dog is is suffering from um separation anxiety, be that fairly mildly or actually being you know potentially being um a bit more a bit more serious. How how should they go about dealing with with that? And 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 I'm asking this in terms of I know that you have you know you've developed your own four step process in terms of how to help people on on that. So I guess you know as much of that as you want to to tell us, but also just you know, general kind of tips really in terms of how how people go about starting that process of putting things right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to say is you can solve this. It's not as difficult as some people will make out. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. The worst case that I've ever seen, we cured him in about three weeks, taking a lot of other behaviors into consideration as well, rather than just pinpointing one behavioral issue, because we need to take that dog's whole world into account. But you know, you can solve this, but you just need patience. And my, I suppose my top tip is to take a couple of weeks off work if you work from home that's ideal because being with your dog is how you're going to cure your dog when you're with your dog avert eye contact do not engage your dog all the time you know you might be in your in your office working and keep looking at your dog you're not giving your dog time just to chill out and be them you're involving them in every you you look at them and you walk away you're involving them you're saying follow me you non-verbally when you go about your daily business, just give your dog a rest. Don't look at them. When you go from room to room, shut the door. Even just for 30 seconds, you're showing your dog, I don't need you with me. And if you're going to be in the next room you know, for more, more than the time that the dog can um, cope with, then just open the door. You don't have to call the dog in, but you're showing your dog, hey, you can come in if you like, because dogs love to be with us. So it's not a case of shutting our dogs away to get them to, you know, deal with it. It's about weaning them off slowly. 
you don't have to praise your dog when they're laying down and resting. You're interrupting sleep and you're also interrupting train of thought. We are going to be able to give them all the love and attention that they need, but we need, but we're going to do it in our time and give them time to be them. They have to learn to be independent as much as our children have to learn to be independent as well. Fitting this process into daily life, not just setting time aside for it. It's a bit like the way I educate dogs. I don't set time aside to educate them, to train them. It happens through the day, as it does with children. Yeah, we, we don't sit around, I'm going to train my, train my child now. So with my process, and it's a, it's a four-step process, first step is desensitizing your dog to the movement and triggers. The next one is actually leaving the room um, and desensitizing to the triggers of that leaving. So desensitizing to your movement first and desensitizing to the exit triggers. Then it's a case of leaving the room and then it's a case of leaving the house. And this can take a few weeks. So in between times, yes, we've got to pick our children up from school. We've got to do various, go to work or what have you. So you need to have somebody in to be with your dog to carry on the process to help them through it but ideally just take two weeks off work and so many so much separation anxiety issues can be solved within two weeks but the thing is not to look at your destination just work with the dog you've got right now and take it really slowly and at the beginning of each day you start right back at the beginning of the process and the process will take quicker each day you do it. So when I talk about, you know, my first step, desensitizing your dog to movement, it's like, you know, we can just move our hands or just look like you're getting up from your chair and your, your dog is standing to attention. You look like you're getting up from your... If you, if you think about getting up from your chair, make the slightest movement and don't look at your dog, you repeatedly do that and the dog will go, there's no point even moving now. You're giving your dog food for thought, really. What's the point of me getting up and you're not going anywhere? And then you move to actually standing up and then sitting down again. We are so quick in what we do. We get up and we're gone. Whereas we break it right down to micro movements and even noises. You might be picking up pick up your keys or you might pick up your mobile phone and that means you're going to go out the front door or what have you so you you pick them up and put them down without looking at your dog if you look at your dog because you and your dog has looked at you you're making a big deal about absolutely nothing if you just do something like stand up and sit down and don't look at your dog you give your dog time to think well it doesn't mean anything if you look, you're having, you, you started a conversation. Say you've got a, a, a friend in your house, okay, and you stand, you stand up, bolt upright, and you look at them. They're going to go, do you need me to do that as well? So if you think on the human side as well, it's quite obvious. Because if we say, if, if whatever you're doing at home and you, and you look at maybe your visitor or your granny or what have you, while you're doing it, they'll probably be thinking, oh, should I be doing that? Do you want me to do that? Should I be doing something? Am I just being lazy? <laughs> so 
by averting our eye contact, we are not in conversation with the other being in the household. It gives them um, the ability to just put the feet up and go, oh, I don't have to do anything at the moment. Fantastic. So you can get to be able to walk, uh, be around a room, fiddle with some ornaments, or if you're in the kitchen, you've been cleaning out cupboards and what have you. If your dog starts pacing or getting upset uh, because they don't know what's going on, just help them chill out again. Maybe just put your hand on their side or guide them um, by the collar to, to the bed and hold till they relax and flop down on their bed. Stand and wait for a moment and then carry on. Say nothing. No eye contact. You're just showing them, hey, you can chill. It's more of what you do, far less of what you say when we're trying to get the message across loud and clear. Really. It, it, it makes complete sense. Um, um, I think when you break it down like that, you kind of like, I mean, it's so logical. Once we've got there then in terms of being able to move around the broom freely, what what comes after that? What's, what's the next step? Well, the next step, you know, when your dog is not reacting to your movement and all the noises um, that you're making, within the room that you're you're in whether that's the kitchen sitting room, whatever room you're basing yourself in at that at any time of day then and also remember that your door has to be shut so the the second step is to decide to your you're leaving the room so walking towards the door touching the door walking away sitting down calming your dog down and then you when your dog is calm, you get up, you rattle the doorknob, go and sit down. So just because you've done A doesn't mean say B is going to happen because your dog will go, oh my goodness, you're going. And then, oh, you're not. So we're keeping their their anxiety low. We're only just going over threshold in a very small amount. If we go way over, the dog is going to take a long time to come down again. So you get to a stage where you can open the doorway up um, go out and shut the door, count one second, come straight back in and sit down again. So we're starting by one second, A, preparing to go out the door, B, you know, you can go out the door for one second, come back in. You're not looking at your dog when you leave or when you come back. If your dog walks up to you, yeah, you can just hold your dog. Just put your arm on their side. You don't have to talk to them. We want to keep a nice, calm environment. So yeah, have some nice, gentle music playing as well because when you leave a room, a room is empty. If you've got some music playing, it's still got some atmosphere about it. So you increase from one second upwards. And when you get to about 15 seconds, then you can maybe jump to 20 seconds and then to to 30 seconds and so on and so forth until you can go out of the door and you can open and shut your front door and come back in again. So very tiny increments. And if your dog is overly distressed when you get back, you go, oops, I've been out for far too long. So backtrack. That kind of is step two and step three. So desensitizing your dog to the exit triggers like you know, the keys and all the rest of it and also opening and shutting a door mm-hmm. and then leaving the room for seconds. So the, the fourth step really is actually leaving the house. And I've started that off by going, you know, opening and shutting the front door when your dog is you know, in the in the kitchen behind another closed door. Um, so he's hearing it, but it's not actually happening. And then you can increase your time outside the front door as you did the door from the kitchen or the sitting room where you were by one second, two seconds, three seconds until you maybe can do 15 seconds. And if you're lucky enough to have a house, you can walk around, you can walk out the front door and in the back door. You can go out the front, you can turn the car on, then turn it off. 
go back in. You can turn the car on, drive down the road, walk back, walk back in. So it's not all about you going. Like say, take two weeks holiday. And if you do need to go out, take your dog with you at the moment. You know, don't just go, well, I've done this for two days. It'll be fine for two hours. Then you'll have to start right back at the beginning again. But it's a beautiful process to do. And the thing is to involve yourself in other household activities. Like when you go outside the door and you're going to be out there for like three seconds, then why not when you're cooking the evening meal, put all your ingredients outside in the hallway. So you go out for an onion and come back in. You're gone out for split seconds. It's like when I load the washing machine, I'll put all the dirty clothes outside the kitchen door and I'll bring a sock in at a time. You know, you're in and out, in and out of a, of a open the door, shut the door. And it just gets your dog into the mindset that you'll always be back. And that basically that time increases very, very gradually. Drill. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, uh, great, great process. And I think as as you kind of, you know, as you take us through that, I'm, I'm sat here kind of nodding away thinking, it just it just makes it makes complete sense but but honestly you know great thoughts in there but do you know what james what i found fascinating having worked this process out with dogs i actually did it with my daughter right when she was yeah when when she went to playgroup she had massive separation anxiety i did the same process at playgroup with my daughter to get her over being so hyper attached to me uh, it worked beautifully Amazing. So there we go. Advice, not just for uh, for pet parents, but for people parents as well. That's um, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, anyone who's listening to this, who is a bit of a regular um, in the Bella and Duke, you know, kind of community um, in the in the groups on the on the social media and stuff, will, will probably already be well aware of you, Caroline, for your um, pause for thought that you uh, that you post regularly, which are just kind of little snippets of, of, of advice for, for, for pet owners. If you could give us one pause for thought today, which is obviously relevant to the subject that we've been talking about, what would that be? I suppose really it's how you are with your dog when you're at home that is most important to be able to solve their anxiety when you're gone. Well said. Well said. Well, Caroline, I mean, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your thoughts. I know this is something that is, it's a distressing problem, both for for, for, for pet parents and for pets. It's not a nice thing, but I think what you've done is really illustrated to us that it's not the most daunting subject to tackle. It's not the most difficult thing to solve. It takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of patience, but hopefully some of the tips in there will really help get people on the right lines in terms of how to um, to deal with that. And I'm sure it's been a massive help for, for anyone who finds themselves in that um, in that situation. So Caroline, thank you for joining us and thank you for your thoughts today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, James. Well, that wraps up this episode of Life Well Loved. Thank you very much for listening. You can find out more about us at bellaandduke.com and don't forget to hit follow so you get all our new episodes every fortnight. Thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye.